So this evening, I want to talk about a part of you, a part that makes you most like God or most unlike God, a part of you that is the source of either the greatest fulfillment or the greatest disappointment, a part of you that is responsible for the greatest heights of joy or the deepest depths of despair, a part of you that is either going to bring clarity and beauty to your life or is going to confuse you and frustrate you like you've never been before. And that part of you, I can summarize in the word desire. I want to speak about desire, what it is, where it comes from, how it's influenced, how it might be fulfilled, or how it might be frustrated. And so let's start. The so tonight I feel like doing a little bit of teaching, but sometimes I get excited and do a bit of preaching in between as well. But it's going to be just the unveiling. This, this understanding of desire, I can honestly say, has turned my life, my perception, my concept of self inside out and upside down. So let's begin by giving a definition of desire or at least some insight into what we're speaking about. I'm going to contrast desire with need. What is the difference between need and desire? Well, let's take a very simple example. It's not been that warm here lately, but um, early in the week, it was a little bit warmer, and we we went walking off to coffee shops and, you know, high altitude, lots of walking, hot weather meant that eventually we got thirsty. It was a biological need. So we, we found a place where we could get water and get water, and get, I've never drank that much. Um, and you understand that thirst is a need that needs to be fulfilled. Now, in contrast to need, I remember on one of our journeys here in the States, we were staying with friends up in near Seattle, in, near Port Orchard. In, and um, our friend is a dentist, and he kindly booked us in for a checkup while we were with them. And I remember waking up that Monday morning, <laughs> and my first thought was, today I have a dental appointment. Now, even if it's the best dentist in the world, that's not the most exciting thought to wake up with. Um, uh, but the next thought was just a block away from his office and his practice, there's Valhalla Coffee. <laughs> and um, that thought suddenly filled my heart with joy because that's the kind of coffee shop where they roast it um, in the little coffee shop, and they, they take the beans out the roast and then grind them, and oh my goodness, it's just 
amazing coffee. Now, I wasn't thirsty, <laughs> but that desire presented itself to me, and I got up and I had some water, I even had some tea to kind of satisfy my thirst, but the desire for that coffee did not go away. You see, uh, desire doesn't work like need. Um, a desire is not purely biological. It is metaphysical. It originates not in your biology, but in your mind. And so the thought of that desire, oh my goodness, suddenly life was worth living again. I got up. <laughs> got dressed, and I was excited about the appointment. Now, do you know that, <laughs> oh, wow, John, John 1 reveals a God, a God who was in relationship from the very beginning, a God who is love, and love does not exist in isolation, so this God, whom we try to give words to the beauty and the complexity of this movement within God, and we call it the Trinity, basically what we're trying to say is God is not a static singularity, but a dynamic movement of relationship that is fulfilled in Himself. And this God in the beginning... <laughs> in this place of satisfaction and completion, does not need anything. <laughs> you see, in a, in a way, the gospel is this gloriously good news that you are completely and utterly unnecessary. <laughs> You weren't birthed out of a need. You, you were birthed out of this God who, who continually, this artistic movement who continually imagines new ways of expressing himself, of being himself, imagines you as another way in which he can give himself. <laughs> if I listened to some theologies, you would think God was in the beginning thinking, what kind of creature can we invent that will irritate us for all eternity? <laughs> a, a kind of grumpy old judge in the empty courtroom thinking, I need some victims. <laughs> and here you are. <laughs> no, the God revealed in Jesus is a God who pours himself out into human existence. The God who becomes flesh. And of his fullness have we all received Grace upon grace upon grace. God is all about the desire to give himself. 
into your existence. He doesn't need you. He desires you. (laughs) Can I say that again? He doesn't need you. He desires you. That's a compliment. Maybe you've, you've only grown up wanting to be needed. I can tell you it's a much greater privilege to be desired than to be needed. Okay, so desire versus need. So this, this capacity of humans to desire is something that is unique about our consciousness. Most animals are satisfied once they have fulfilled their needs. Now, if a lion has eaten, have shelter, and have reproduced, he's satisfied. He goes and lies down under a tree, and he doesn't wonder about how I can create greater beauty in my environment, how I can develop more meaningful relationships with my tribe. That just doesn't enter his consciousness. That is something unique about human consciousness, is even when all our needs are met, we desire meaning. We desire value. We would send people into space, drill holes through the earth to find something that will bring greater fulfillment. So, I want to look a little bit about, uh, at the uniqueness of desire in the formation of human consciousness. Because mostly we are unaware of where our desires come from. It kind of just happens. And the process by which our desires are formed is very often hidden from conscious awareness. When, so, so you need to help me use your divine imagination to go back to a stage before you were conscious of yourself. You know every child is born into this world in a pre-conscious state. A little while ago, Marianne and myself um, walked on the beach near where we live, and we came upon this delightful scene of three or four toddlers just in absolute bliss and nakedness, running into the water and bumping into one another, and it was just this beautiful, unself-conscious unfiltered enjoyment of existence. And, and beholding that, there was this kind of deja vu. I think all of us somehow remember that place where our consciousness of self was not yet fully formed. And that is a kind of paradise. Because if there's no self, there's no separation. If there's no self, there is just union. And we all are born into that state of consciousness. And that state of consciousness is not just 
the naive condition of an undeveloped mind. I think it's a genuine participation in reality. And, you know, the development of self-consciousness is absolutely necessary and, and beautiful, and it's got beauty of its own. But there's something about that unself-consciousness that is still available to us as well. Now, the development of self-consciousness goes hand-in-hand hand with the awakening of desire. Even if you read Genesis, and most of the ancient scholars read Genesis 2 and 3 as the story of human development. They didn't read it as the story of what went wrong. They read it, read it as the story of how do we become human. And part of this journey of becoming human is the awakening of desire. Remember in Genesis 2, the last few verses, both Adam and Eve, or at that stage she wasn't even called Eve, both Ish and Isha, the male and the female, were naked and unashamed. Does that remind you of toddlers? There's unself-consciousness in their nakedness. In, so self-consciousness has not fully developed at that stage. Let me just read this to you, um, and I'll get it right. What is desire? The invitation of beauty, the attraction of value, the magnetism of meaning, the intrigue of what is other, the excitement of new possibilities, the promise of being, of fulfillment. But why are we intrigued by beauty, attracted to value? Why do we desire? All these words, invitation, attraction, magnetism, intrigue, promise, assume some form of distance. In the pre-conscious paradise of undifferentiated union, I'm speaking here about the pre-conscious state of children growing up. In this pre-conscious paradise of, of undifferentiated union, there can be no desire for there is no distance and where there is no um, distinction, there can be no desire. It is the very space between myself and the other that makes the movement of desire possible. Desire both affirms the distance and bridges it. To desire is to affirm a difference between myself and what is not self. There is no I want if there is no sense of I. Does that make sense to you? I've learned that phrase from you, Mike. I think. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? <laughs> um, but neither can there be a sense of distinction without the space created by desire. Desire forms in the space between reality as it is and reality as it could be. Humans are not satisfied with perceiving reality as it is. We desire meaning, and in the pursuit of meaning, a very 
powerful capacity develops to understand reality, not as something static, but as a movement that comes from the past and flows into the future. Consciousness of time gives us access to the logic of cause and effect and forms the basis of storytelling. It enables us to learn from the past, to accumulate knowledge, and to anticipate the future. It opens up understanding to the possibilities of the future. So all of that to say that when there is no self that you are conscious of, there is no separation, no distance between you and the other. Desire and the sense of self are formed only when there's a sense of distance. And in this instance, I do not want you to think of distance as something negative. It is, you know, there's always a positive and a negative side to any of these concepts that we um, examine. So the question I want to ask is this. Does desire originate in self, or does the self originate in desire? So what comes first, the chicken or the egg? What creates that distance? Is it desire that brings a sense of distance that gives the opportunity for self-consciousness to develop? Or does the self form and then develop desire? It's very interesting how psychologists who have done a lot of studies of children have come to the conclusion that the human capacity to imitate desire is just one of the most fascinating and spontaneous capacities that we have that they have not observed anywhere else. For instance, in one of the um, uh, experiments they've done, they, I think it was about one-year-old children, they put them across the table from the parents. The parents got the attention of the child and then looked at another object at the end of the table. And without fail, children will follow the eye movement of their parents to see what they see. They repeated the experiment, but the, the parents then closed their eyes and looked in another direction, and the children would not imitate the head movement because they couldn't, it wasn't interesting. We want to see what our parents see. We don't want to just copy them. They've done another experiment where uh, a person came into a room with the toddlers and he would be busy with a toy attempting to dissemble it and fail at the attempt of assembling, dissembling it and then leave the toy with the toddlers. And immediately the toddler somehow knew that the desire of that person was to dissemble this toy and will begin to try and dissemble. Isn't that amazing? A, a toddler, my goodness, what capacity to perceive the desire of another without any 
words, without any communication, just observation. They repeated the same experiment, but this time they had a robot perform exactly the same movements as the person and then leave the toy with the child and the children weren't interested in that toy at all. Why not? There's no desire to be reflected or imitated. We are made to reflect desire. And very often we convince ourselves that our desires originate in ourselves. But to a large extent, desire is mediated. It is suggested. And it is suggested to us from the earliest age by the eye movements of our parents. And that's why you can see two children running to the same toy, grab hold of it, and one of them will say, I saw it first. How does that give you permission to own it? You see, what is happening is that the child is, the ego is expressing the exact opposite of what happened. It, it's the first form of suppression. This is where the conscious and the unconscious begins to develop because what happened unconsciously is that the one child saw the other child seeing the toy, run to that toy, and now I'm going to say why I have a greater right to it than you. And I do that by denying the very thing that made this toy attractive to me. I saw it before you saw it. How do I know that? Because I saw you see it. <laughs> and so this has led to many psychologists. There's a beautiful book called The Genesis of Desire. And they come to the conclusion that desire forms self that the self, the I that I am conscious of, originates in desire rather than desire originates in me. Ooh. Now, the implications of this took me a long time to perceive. <laughs> but it turned my sense of identity upside down. Because if... If I originate in my desire, and you know, in that book, they give beautiful examples as well, and I've got this, the um, Desire Found Me book down there if you want more information on it. But for instance, the reason why hypnosis works is because a desire is suggested, and that desire creates a personality of its own in such a way that when the person comes out of the hypnosis, that personality disappears, and the personality that is now in control again can't remember what that other idiot did while somebody suggested to him he was a chicken looking for food. But desire creates a sense of self-awareness. Um, Mm, yes, so that brings me 
to, I think, one of the most profound questions you can ever ask yourself. As many of us are confronted with the question, who am I? Who am I? I want to give you a beautiful key to discovering who you are. And the first key is change the question. Instead of asking, who am I? Ask this question, what do I desire? That question is going to take you closer to an answer of who am I than the question, who am I? What do I desire? Hmm. <laughs> now, that's not a very easy question to answer either. Because, you know, I can think of stuff that I desire, but is that really the core of what I desire? If I, sometimes people are just motivated by, I want stuff, and when they get the stuff, they discover mm, it doesn't quite fulfill. Now, you, you understand me, I don't, there's nothing wrong with desiring stuff either, but I want to get to the core desire that forms you, and the core desire that forms you is not where I want to live what I want to drive, or that there's a deeper desire for meaningfulness, for purpose, that is at the heart of what drives human beings. Now remember, just as that one child saw the other child see the toy and run to the toy and say, I saw it first, most of our advertising agencies know that this is how humans work. They, they have totally bought into Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is basically the story that says, the way in which most humans develop is, there's a whispering voice somewhere in your development that says, you lack being. You are not like God, and God doesn't want you to be like Him. And that sense of lack of being is then presented with an offer. But only if you could grab a hold of this fruit, if you can just reach out and take what is so attractive, what is so beautiful, what God doesn't want you to have, then you will become like God and you will be fulfilled. So, Desire, let's take it out of the theological context. What the psychologists who works for advertising agents, the words they will use is people have a fundamental sense of lack of being. And if you want to sell your product, put it next to a person that seems like the ideal person that has their life together. So get the most beautiful girl or the most, you know, successful guy and let him drink this specific <laughs> brand of coffee 
or cold drink. And people don't really care about the coffee or the cold drink or the car that he drives. What they see, first of all, is the person that seems to embody the fullness of being that I've been longing for. And I can't be this person, but at least I can have what this person has. And if I can desire what he desires and have what, what he has... I will be fulfilled. So desire is continually suggested to us. And we've become a little bit more skillful than the toddlers running to one another and saying, I saw it first. We know how to hide the fact that our desires have been influenced by the desires of others, but they still are. And so when you ask yourself this question, what do I desire? When I asked myself that question, it's probably six or seven years ago, I had a complete crisis of self. I thought, who the heck am I? Because I suddenly began to realize how my desires have been influenced by others. And every time I settled on a desire and I thought, this is what I want to do, I then asked myself the next question, and that is, where did that desire come from? And that was devastating, because I kind of had this romantic idea that most of us cling to, that I am within myself a genius that produces my own desires and thoughts without the influence of any others. And when I actually got to that realization that most of my desires have been influenced by others, I lost my sense of self. I actually lost all desire for a while. I think it was my rebellion against, I don't want to be formed <laughs> by others. <laughs> I want to be my own independent self. And so for a period, I lost all desire. I lost my sense of self. And, and slowly but surely, our Abba started showing me that this process of desire being formed through the influence of others does not have to be evil or bad. That it is the way in which he designed us and that we can now choose and have a measure of, of influence on who do we want to be influenced by. <laughs> Who do we want to be part of this journey of stirring my desires? So basically what I wanted to say in that little piece is the movement of desire never just occurs between me and the object of desire. Desire is triangular. I observe somebody else desiring something and therefore I desire it. Does that make sense? We don't know what we want until we see what others want. 
And the problem is most of the others are as confused as us about what they want. This is what makes Jesus the most amazing revelation of what true humanity looks like. So you can look, go and look in John 5 and many other places throughout John where Jesus begins to reveal that he has found a source, first of all, of contentment and the source that has captivated his vision, that has transformed his desire and therefore transformed his whole being. Remember one of the earliest observations made about human development in Genesis is it's not good that man should be alone, that the earthling should be alone. And, and in that respect, there's also a whole study. It's called detachment theory. But something that happens in the development of every child is there are moments where the parents leave they are confronted with a sense of aloneness. And it is in that, that experience that they're going to develop some form of attachment model. It's either going to become very clingy. Now, when the parents come back, they just want to grab a hold of them. Or it might manifest in when the parents come back, they're mad at them. They don't want anything to do with them because they left. Or they'll find a substitute. While they're gone, they'll play with the toy. And this represents mom or dad for me until they're back when I'm again with them. So this, this process of from a very young age that I'm alone is the first thing that is proclaimed to be not good. And Jesus wants to introduce us to a different level of consciousness. Jesus, from a very young age, displays an attitude to being alone that is very different. Remember the one story that we have in the Bible of Jesus' childhood. It's in Luke where they went to a big feast and um, the parents were finishing up and they were traveling back to their hometown, and kind of a day later, they realized Jesus isn't here. So they turned around, go back to Jerusalem to find him, searches for him for a few days, and finds him completely content in the temple, saying, didn't you know that I would be busy with my father's business? <laughs> It seems like Jesus had a sense of the Father being with him in his aloneness. In fact, he explicitly says so later on in John when he tells his disciples, you will all scatter and you will all leave me alone. But I am not alone because the Father is always with me. Then in Philippians the invitation is given, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what, what was Jesus conscious of? What was his way of being aware 
of himself and his environment that he invites us into. In John 17, he says, Father, I pray, like Mike said before, that they may be one, (laughs) even as we are one. You see, God doesn't want to be number one in your life. He just wants to be one. He doesn't want to be a priority. (laughs) He just wants to be one. And so, if the fundamental issue with twisted desire is a sense of lack, if your desires, if there's a sense of lack, you're going to continually be influenced by what you see, your desires are going to be suggested by people that you think has got more being than you. And it's going to be one hell of a confusing journey. (laughs) But the gospel is this beautiful news that right now, right here, whatever circumstances you find yourself in, you are accepted You are enough. You are loved. You are embraced. And now out of this sense of fullness, a new kind of desire is stirred. John 15. We've always read that uh, scripture that says... uh, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You can ask for whatever you want to, and it will be done unto you. Notice that that verse begins not with striving, but with abiding. That there's a sense of rest, a sense of completeness, a sense of fullness. Just abide. We've kind of made that another formula. Okay, here's a way in which we can get what we want. That's not what that verse is about. (laughs) This verse is giving you a way of life that is completely content and always expanding. Just abide. In me, find that place of contentment and rest in me. And if you stay there for long enough, do you know what's going to happen? The Greek has got a very specific sequence to the words it used there. If you just stay in this place of contentment, you will desire, you will ask, and it will be created. Um, you see, there's something that happens in that place of just being in the presence of another. I can, I can maybe give this example. You might have walked through a museum and looked at a few art pieces and think, ah, oh, that's nice, that's not so nice, that's my style, that's not my style and gone out, and it was a mediocre experience. But if you get a person that is passionate and in love with that type of art, and you walk through that same museum with them, 
And they begin to tell you what is behind the story behind this piece of this Monet painting, the, the vision he had, the colors he used, how revolutionary it was. Suddenly, you begin to see through their eyes. And your appreciation and enjoyment of that value grows. So this is what John is saying. This is the secret of Jesus' life. He knew he was not alone. I abide with my Father. My Father abides with me. John 5.20, the Father loves the Son, and He shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. <laughs> and greater things than these will He show you so that you may be astonished. Your Abba sees the beauty of this cosmos, of this world in a way that is astonishing. And if you learn to just abide, <laughs> to just say, Papa, show me what you see. That's what happened to Paul. Now in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul makes this amazing statement that if, if since everyone is in Christ, there is a, a whole new creation, the, the old things have passed away, behold, all things are new and all things are of God. My goodness, Paul, what have you seen? See, the way in which God wants to transform this world is not by intervening. God's purpose has not changed to what He revealed in Jesus. God's purpose has always been for His vision, His Word, to become flesh in human life. <laughs> and the way in which God is going to transform this world is when there's more people like Paul that says, Behold, the whole world has become near. And everywhere I look, I can only see God. I can only see beauty. I can only see possibility. <laughs> this is how God transforms our world. Through His vision becoming flesh. In you. The incarnation is not one event that happened 2,000 years ago in which God came to brag and say, Look, this is what you can never be. And now for the rest of time, you must just look back nostalgically and worship a historic event. That's never been God's purpose. What Jesus came to reveal is this has always been God's intention for you. That His vision, His thoughts, His beauty would find flesh, would find form, would be embodied in human beings. And of His fullness, have who received Jesus? Of His fullness, have we all received 
You see that word, that verse in chapter, uh, verse 14, 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh. Now, that and means we should look at the verse before because it's only half a thought. The verse before actually doesn't speak about Jesus. It speaks about you. Verse 13 says, You were born, not of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God and the thoughts of God became flesh. Just look at your hands. This is what it looks like when God thinks. When His thoughts, when His words become flesh. <laughs> Below this skin is enveloped a great depth. And somewhere in that depth the difference between God and man becomes indistinguishable. Somewhere in that depth, we realize that the very source of our existence, if you could truly see what makes you, you at this very moment, you would see nothing less than the infinite generosity of God pouring himself out into your existence. Not because he needs to, but because he wants to. He likes you. He desires you, and He's going to continue desiring you into existence moment by moment by moment again. I hope I'm starting to give you a sense of fullness and a sense of satisfaction. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. You see, the way in which Jesus comes to retell the human story puts the whole sense of lack on its head. Because the first, the first iteration, our first attempt to tell the human story, tells a story of humans with such a sense of lack and insufficiency that they grab after every fruit that promises likeness to God promises greater sense of being. Jesus turns the story on its head because in Philippians again it says, He empties Himself into human form. So in Jesus we do not see a person trying to become more like God. In Jesus we see a God becoming human. He empties Himself into human form and he does not grasp of the equality with God. Can you see it's the inverse of the Adam story? The Adam story, a sense of lack, so I grasp. The Jesus story is a consciousness that is so aware that my existence is God pouring himself out into human form that I do not have to grasp. I can just receive. I can just become aware that God is pouring himself out, emptying himself into human form. And when you become overwhelmed with the reality and the surprising, astonishing truth that every moment of existence is a gift, a gift, 
a gift that never stops giving. There's another type of desire that begins to form in that sense of fullness. And that's the kind of desire that wants to continue to pour itself out and give to the benefit of others. And in that sense of fullness, when that type of desire begins to stir, you have found your most authentic true self. Because this is not a desire stirred by need, by necessity, but the desire stirred by the overwhelming gift of God's grace. Of His fullness have we all received grace upon grace upon grace. I want to close off with just a simple little thing regarding prayer. I've, I've listened here and there as we traveled. I got some of Mike's things. I enjoyed it. And, and so I just want to do this. It's just the affirmation of the, this beautiful message that God wants to heal you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give to you. And I want to look at that verse in John 14 again where he says, Abide in me. Let my thoughts, my word abide in you. You will desire. You will ask. And it will be created. So often we are asking that God knows all that we need. Why do we bother asking Him? I remember when I asked that question, we started traveling for, for about six years. We continually traveled. We didn't have a home. And for part of that time, Eugene traveled with us. And I remember the first uh, journey we did, he came out of college and he had some photographic equipment, and I kind of knew that if he wanted to go to the next level with his photography, he was going to need better equipment. But I didn't want to just come and suggest that to him. I wanted it to be his desire. You see, if people desire something and they ask for it, they appreciate it much more than if it's just given without that sense of desire. And so, as we traveled, somebody blessed him with another camera. We were up in um, Washington State, and somebody also just saw his, you know, his, the potential, blessed him with another camera. And a few weeks later, he put all his cameras and equipment on eBay, sold it all to get money together to be able to buy new equipment. And, and he came to me and he said, Dad, I'm a bit short can you help until I can get there? And I was just waiting for that request. Because I wanted to do it long ago. <laughs> but I wanted him to desire it and to ask it. And it was our absolute joy to help where we could to get the new equipment. I think that's the kind of thing that Papa speaks about here. He doesn't want to control your life, force you into directions that you have no in. God does not have any interest in control. He, he just doesn't. He's a God who wants to create possibilities 
and be excited with you about which possibilities you're going to choose. <laughs> and this God says, hey, walk through with me through this museum. Or this, maybe museum is not the best. Maybe our, our cosmos is quite old. So maybe museum is good. Walk with me through this cosmos. Let me show you what I see, the beauty I behold, the potential I can perceive. And as you abide with Him, you're going to find certain desires begin to stir. Don't be suspicious of those desires. Because those, you know, I grew up in a way that if you desire it, it's definitely from the devil. And if, if you enjoy it, you're going to hell. The gospel is such much better news. Abide in me, and desire is suddenly no longer initiated by a sense of lack, but out of the sense of fullness, out of the sense of accepted, embraced, being loved, desires begin to stir. Those are divine desires. I will give you the desires of your heart. And then allow those desires to become strong enough for you to have the boldness to ask. Your papa's just waiting. He's saying, come on, ask me. I want to do this. <laughs> I want to bless you. I want to take you. To that place where you continue to realize the possibilities of a God who wants to continually give himself out of the fullness of who he is. Not out of need, not out of necessity. Mm, Papa, I pray that right now you bring such a sense of satisfaction. Such a sense that I am loved, embraced, full, complete, right here where I am. Mm, yes, Papa. And in this place of contentment, we can stay here forever. <laughs> Thank you, Papa that we can live out of this rest, out of this fullness, and see the adventure of life open up before us. Thank you, Papa. Mary Ann. Okay, the guitar's gone. That's fine. Thank you so much for another opportunity. We have so enjoyed being with you. We always do. And... Um, I want to, yeah, leave you with that last encouragement. Man, out of this place of fullness, all things are possible. All things are possible. They might not be certain, but they're possible. Ah, God wants to astonish you. He wants to surprise you. He never wants to become a boringly predictable God. And neither does he want you to be a boringly predictable person. He wants to surprise you and, and enable you to be as surprising as he is. 
there's more to you than the story you've told yourself so far. Glory. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. One, two, one, two. There we are. Ah, oh, thank you, Father, huh? Thank you, Father. Hey, if you need prayer, come up here. And then uh, tomorrow night, 6.30 at our house, it'll grab some food, a glass of wine. If you, that's, that's, there's something special going to happen. It's interesting. Remember when we saw King David in the parking lot yesterday? We found this straggler walking around the parking lot. It was King David. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> One thing I said is I said, uh, he's really tuned in in the spirit, didn't I? And as I was kind of waking up again this morning, just kind of sleeping, I'm like, oh, something special is going to happen tomorrow night. And you can ask him. I didn't say a word. He comes up to me. He's like, you know, the Lord spoke to me. Something special is going to happen tomorrow night. I swear. Isn't that exactly what happened, David? Yeah. So uh, I just, you know, all things are possible, like Andre said. It's like you live this life of, of just, yes, all things are possible. And as good as you think it is, he goes, I'll do exceedingly abundantly beyond that. That's the possibility. Not is it going to happen or not happen. It's, I want you to see me like that, that it's even bigger than that. Amen? So uh, tomorrow night, 630. But uh, I want to honor these guys if you want to give. And, and um, just kind of continuing in Andre's theme here, you know, I love 2 Corinthians 9. And I think most people read that whole giving thing, and it's, they, they read it out of obedience again. And I hate that. Meaning like, um, you better be obedient because you reap what you sow. I think, I think you've missed the whole thing there. Here's what he's saying. is He goes, I'm the same God that gives bread to the eater. That's one level that you see me. But I'm also the same God that is this infinite flow of his riches, his love, his goodness, his abundance, etc., where not only will you have enough for yourself to take care of that person who only sees me as bread to the eater, but you'll have more than enough for yourself and be the giver because love gives. So he's, in, he's really, in my opinion, when I read that, is, is uh, uh, and then he, they, they share, then they kind of share Jesus' life in Psalms. And he says, look at this. You know, this is how he lived. It's an introduction to, to live in that life. Now, let me ask you this. Would it be more joy and would God be bigger if he just gave us enough to eat? Or how would it feel? to be this abundant giver that realizes there's this infinite supply while I'll always have enough, which one would feel better? That's what he's introducing you to live that life if you want. So there's no pressure. There's no, you, there's no this, you reap what you sow. He's like, listen, as the sower sows seeds in their heart, how we see him and how we view him, he wants to introduce you to a better life is really what I, I see that whole giving thing. He's like, I'm the same God, but one person views me this way and another person views me this way. I want you to start uh, seeing him as like, you know what? I'm in this infinite flow of this, this anointing within that there's enough and more than enough in all places. And you'll start to live out of that. It's really fascinating. No pressure. Amen. So my desire is to bless these guys. I don't know what yours, but that's up to you. And if you want to give online, you can too. So Father, we just love you. We praise you. We thank you for these seeds planted in people's hearts, that they're loved, they're perfectly loved, they've always been loved. And you know what? You place magnificent desires there where they want to express your life. You want to express your life through them. 
Like Andre said, they don't have to, they don't have to feel like those are dirty or selfish desires. That's, that's life trying to express himself through us. And not only have you granted that, you've already said, I can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what they even that is. That's who I am. I'm this magnificent, unlimited God. So, Father, we just thank you that uh, as we give, as we see you as this abundant flow, that you'll always have more than enough for ourselves and to give to every good work. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' magnificent name. Amen. Amen.